0: You know, a lot of people think that worship is all about following a formula. A few years ago, I decided that I was going to try and make a transition from being a social golfer who was pretty erratic to being someone that could hit a ball reasonably straight down a fairway for a reasonable distance uh, on a regular basis. And so. I bought a little book called All You Need to Know About Golf. And, you know, all I needed to do to become a really good golfer was change my grip, change my stance, change where I positioned the ball, change my follow-through and turn after I hit the ball. Well, after a very short period of time my game of golf deteriorated (laughs) even more. And I developed this very mean hook. If I tried to hit the ball hard, instead of going straight, it would hook off to the left, and the ball would end up on the next fairway. So instead of improving my game, my game deteriorated greatly. Well, nothing really changed until one day Helen ran over my golf clubs in the garage. (laughs) And she put a little bend in each of the shafts of my clubs, which fortunately corrected my hook. (laughs) Now, my sermon this morning is titled Worship in Spirit and in truth. Now, if I'm going to be truthful, I need to tell you that she didn't really bend all the shafts of my golf clubs. (laughs) But it is interesting because a lot of people are very ritualistic about worship in churches, about their whole approach to musical worship. You know, you may have been visiting another church or at a conference, and the worship really took off. And so you jotted down the names of all the songs that had been sung and the keys that they were in, and you looked at all the instruments on the stage, and you thought, we need to do that in our church. And you came back and you told the worship leader the songs that you needed to have and the order and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but then when, when you tried it out, nothing really changed. It's not about following a formula. There's a verse in John 3 verse 8 that tells us that the Spirit blows where he wills. That the Holy Spirit, we can't control the Holy Spirit. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. A few years ago, we had a church family camp, and we were in um, some pretty rustic sort of old buildings, and we had a very limited worship team, but one night, our worship really took off, and we could hear a harmony, a high harmony, that we couldn't account for. There was not one of our singers that was singing that part and it sounded like an angelic choir and it was just a magnificent situation where we were caught up into the heavenly realm and we were lost in wonder, love and praise. The woman at the well asked Jesus if Jerusalem or a sacred mountain was the best location for worshipping God. And Jesus' famous reply is found in John 4, verse 24. And that is that God is spirit, and worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so today we're going to try and find out what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a tabernacle, and then they built Solomon's temple. And they used to go to Solomon's temple to worship God. And they had a very set routine that they followed in their worship of God. But a lot of that routine was actually a prophecy of Jesus, who was was to come, who was to lead us into all truth and guide us into worship. And so Solomon's temple actually illustrates the journey into the presence of God. And a person would come, first of all, into the outer court of the temple. Now, you can see the outer court. And anyone could come into that outer court area. And then they offered a blood sacrifice on the altar. Then they washed their hands in the basin next to it certain people were allowed to pass through a curtain into the actual temple building, the holy place. And in that building, there was no natural light. But there was a golden candlestick which spoke of Jesus, who was to be the light of the world, and that emitted a soft glow. Then there was special bread, which symbolised Jesus, who was to be the bread of life and there was an altar of incense. Behind another curtain was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was found. Once a year, only the high priest was permitted to enter beyond that curtain and take a blood offering for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. But that high priest was attached to a harness in case for some reason he was struck down by God, and if he died, then no one would have to go in to fetch him out of the Holy of Holies. They could drag him out by that harness, but if you know the Easter story very well, you would have heard that the curtain into the holy of holies was torn in two the moment jesus died on the cross and the tearing of this curtain opened the way for worshippers like you and i to come directly into god's presence we no longer need to be fearful about entering god's presence hebrews 10 verse 19 says therefore brothers and sisters We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4, King David made some practical suggestions on how to enter the presence of the Lord. He wrote, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And then the reply comes, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his eyes to an idol, his soul to an idol, or swear to what is false. So clean hands refer to our actions and our behaviour. What we've done or what we're doing makes a massive difference when it comes to worshipping God. A pure heart refers to our thoughts and our attitudes and motivation. To be pure is to be without contamination. And when we ask Jesus to forgive our sins, he forgives us our sin. And he also gives us the power to live a godly life. You know, if you were to buy a bottle of pure fruit juice... You wouldn't expect it to contain added sugar or preservative. In a similar way, when we enter into a worship service, we're not to come with mixed motives. Jesus wasn't impressed with people who did things so that they would be noticed. People who gave large amounts of money at the temple so that others would see them and think that they are great people. Or those people that fasted and looked miserable so that everyone would know how many days they'd gone without food and they would be impressed. Or those people who pl- prayed really long prayers so that others would think that they were super spiritual. Those people who draw, drew attention to themselves instead of the Lord weren't worshipping God with a pure heart. Instead of coming to God with a pure heart we may come out of obligation or habit. Ask yourself why did I come to church this morning? Was it to please my family? Or to meet with my friends? Is it something I've done all my life and I've just got into that habit? Well none of those reasons have anything wrong with them. But if if they're the primary reason why you're coming rather than to meet with God and to glorify God, then you're really missing out on something. A man called David Peterson, he asked some focusing questions about worship and he asked, is worship essentially an experience or a feeling? Is it a feeling that you get or is it something that you experience when you come into God's presence and you come to worship him. He also asked, are there special times in a Christian gathering when we are truly worshipping God? And I guess you've all experienced times when you felt God's presence in a service in a special way. If we don't come with a hunger for God, we're not likely to have a real encounter of God. No idols means a single-hearted dedication to God alone. God is not just to be an add-on in our lives. He's to be our number one. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, it expresses God's view of half-hearted commitment. This is what it says. From now on, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of your innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Let me no longer see your evil deeds. Give up your wicked ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed defend the orphan and we as a church can examine ourselves and we we can ask are we ticking those boxes are we doing good are we seeking justice are we helping the oppressed do we defend the rights of the weak and lowly and in Psalm 101 it also tells us how to come before God and worship And here David says, I will sing of your love and justice. Do our worship songs talk about God's love and God's justice and mercy. I will praise the Lord with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to my aid? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. You know, some people do something during... You know, you you, uh, come along to church and and you're on your best behaviour, but then you go home and you've got an anger problem and you're not the same person that you make out yourself to be at church. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all crooked dealings. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbours. I will not endure conceit and pride. Some interesting points there. These verses clearly illustrate the importance of truth, holiness and justice to God. Jesus criticized the religious leaders of his day and accused them of being hypocrites. That word hypocrisy comes from the Greek word which means actor. It means putting on a religious act. Do we just act religious or do we have the real deal? Do we really love God and serve God? And is our worship a reflection of who we really are? We may condemn certain behavior on a Sunday, yet commit those same actions ourselves during the week without even thinking twice about them. You know, King David, he was guilty of two terrible sins. First of all, he committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba the wife of his neighbour, Uriah. Then, to cover this up, David lied and organised the murder of Uriah. For some time, it seemed as though David had got away with it. He carried on his duties as king and with his regular forms of worship in the temple, outwardly, nothing seemed to have changed until the prophet Nathan confronted David. David offered no excuses. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he acknowledged that he had done wrong, that he had sinned. And then in Psalm 51, David offered up a prayer of confession and a cry for mercy. And in verse 6, he prayed, Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts sincerity and truth are what you require fill my mind with your wisdom remove my sin and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow you know there was a big gap between David's outward behavior and his inner heart condition David had become a hypocrite an actor just playing a part just going through the motions Without revealing what was really going on in his heart. Have you ever felt like that? Felt that there's a barrier between you and God? A barrier that prevents you from entering into worship and distances you from God? The remedy for this is honest confession and wholehearted repentance to God. Christians often speak and pray for revival. However, a key barrier to revival happening is overlooking things that we know are wrong. Until these are dealt dealt with, true revival is unlikely to happen. In Proverbs 28 verse 13, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and turns from them will be shown mercy. God's remedy is, first of all, confess it, and then turn away from it. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so God desires to bring us back into an everlasting relationship with himself. Our generation is apathetic concerning the things of God. There's not a lot of enthusiasm for God in our world today. And this has been the case throughout much of history. In Exodus 20 verse 21, when the Lord revealed himself to the people, they stood at a distance. Only Moses was prepared to approach the dark cloud where God was. Today, the church and the world is suffering from a lack of the knowledge and understanding of God. Even the church keeps a distance from God. Many believers are in a similar position to what we just described in Exodus. We try to believe and trust in Jesus, but we don't feel the joy and the victory of a spirit-filled life. Our trust and hope is in the crucified Christ rather than in the living Christ who lives within us. We accept that Jesus took the punishment for our sins and is in heaven, but we struggle to accept that Jesus is alive and living in us and through us. You know, there's many churches that have struggled for years. Many churches are closing today it may seem almost as though God has turned his back on them. There's a program that's called Setting Your Church Free that is available for some churches to work through. And churches that have been through that program, after examining their history, they find that um, they have never dealt with certain areas where things have gone tragically wrong. Areas of relationship power struggles, immorality, or a failure to love and to serve their community. After a time of corporate repentance, amends have been made where blockages have been re- removed, unclean hands have been washed. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross caused that curtain of separation to be removed. There's nothing on God's side preventing us from drawing near and coming into his presence. Why do we choose to live outside of the Holy of Holies and never enter into the presence of God? We sense God's call to us, but we still fail to draw near to him. What is it that is holding us back? In Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus wrote a letter to a church in Laodicea. This is what he said to them. He said, here I am. This is in Exodus 3 verse 20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. Imagine Jesus standing at the door of our church this morning. Is he welcome here? Are there things going on in our lives that we are ashamed of? Yield to God's spirit of truth this morning. Jesus will help you do this. Commit to obeying what you know to be true and right. Some of you may need to accept Jesus as your Saviour and Lord so that the Holy Spirit can give you the power to live a life of obedience to his will. Others may need to recommit themselves to the obedience of truth so that they can be true worshippers of God. Is God speaking to you this morning? If you want to talk to someone See me or another one of our leaders at the end of the service so that we can share with you and we can pray with you. But let's focus on God's goodness, his holiness, love and grace as we welcome his manifest presence among us as we continue in our worship this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of all worship, honour and praise. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we want to draw near to you. We want to open that door and say, come in, Lord Jesus. We want you to flood this place with your presence. We want your anointing to fall amongst us. Lord, if we are battling in certain areas, give us the courage and the strength to confront the issue and ask you to help us to be victorious in these things. Lord, we know that all things are possible to those who believe. If we're striving in our own strength, come upon us by your Holy Spirit and give us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.